Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Sam DeLuke has been coloring movie images for over 27 years. He worked in Nashville before moving to Los Angeles, where he has created final color for every imaginable genre, including feature film, episodic television, commercials, and music videos. He counts every major Hollywood studio among his clients, and his work is seen by millions of viewers every day. A member of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the Colorist Society International, and the International Documentary Association, Sam is a past recipient of the Roy W. Dean Film Grant. In addition to domestic and international studio work, he enjoys working with independent filmmakers and has a particular passion for nonfiction projects that illuminate the human condition. Carol, I understand Sam won the Dean Grant and has worked for you as a donor to the grant for many years. Yes, Claire. Sam is a major talent in our industry, and he really can make your film set the mood that you want. So thank you for joining us, Sam. Well, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, It's it's nice to talk to you, Claire and, and Carol. Well, we want to learn as much as we can from you because I know you carry so much knowledge. So I want to cover how to prevent problems in post, what a colorist does, and why do you need one. So let's start with what a colorist does. Well, uh, a colorist uh, is basically the final arbiter of color for your picture, whether you're doing a documentary or a TV show or a feature film or a short. Um, We work uh, with saturation and contrast and uh, on a very basic level we solve problems that may have happened in camera or with lighting uh, production problems we also make shots match within a scene from from shot to shot Um, that's the part of what we do that if we do our job right no one knows we exist the picture just looks fine but going beyond that point uh, your colorist can be a, an important part of the storytelling process, setting the mood for a scene, um, uh, creating a, a, a sense of atmosphere uh, beyond what's captured on set. Um, a, a great example is um, is last year's Revenant, where you, or you'd look, you felt totally <laughs> freezing while you're watching that movie. Well, a lot of that work, um, you know, was was production design and what happened, uh, you know, in front of the camera lens, but then a lot of that work was also uh, augmented by the colorist, um, who, the digital intermediate colorist, who made everything feel gray and blue and cold, and um, it was very effective. And one of my favorite movies this year is La La Land uh, and the uh, extraordinary use of color in that movie, so maybe we can talk about that at some point. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that right now, because I read your blog post when you were talking about it before the Golden Globes about how good it was, what a great film, and and, uh, I, and you were right. The Golden Globe 
had so many awards for that film. It was unbelievable, and so did the BAFTA. So it means that you're spot on with your uh, review. So tell us why you think it's such a great film. Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I think it's a great film. Uh, And obviously, Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, so let's get that out of the way. We love to talk about ourselves. Um, But... You know, it also has an extraordinary enthusiasm for the filmmaking process, uh, both in the storyline and in the um, the execution of the movie. Um, and it is a it's a throwback to great Technicolor musicals of the 1960s, um, both in the way it's like the dance numbers are shot in long takes uh, with uh, an extraordinary amount of choreography between the uh, actors, dancers, and camera, but uh, with in-camera lighting cues and um, and uh, the use of color, the use of uh, gels on set and the augmentation of the color um, to help the storytelling process both uh, on camera and in post-production. So I, I just loved it. I thought it was great fun. Well, Sam, was that all one uh, shoot at the opening scene on the freeway? Was that all one take? I think that there were probably some takes that were stitched together invisibly, and it's it's pretty tough to do that if the camera is not, you know, exactly in the right place at the right time. So obviously the choreography that was done, um, you know, on set was uh, extraordinary. And um, uh, I think that there, there's a couple of, like, swish pans in that opening shot. That that number lasts five and a half minutes. And um, Great. <laughs> Isn't it? It's really yeah. terrific to watch. Um, but I think that there's a, probably a couple of, of moments in there where there's a swish pan where they're stitching a couple of takes together. Um, and, you know, that there's a, a lot that has to be thought out about the post-production process um, before production happens. But uh, Linus uh, Sandgren, the DP, and his team uh, obviously did an exceptional job. Just the way the camera moves in that movie is uh, great fun. The kinetic energy is uh, – if you haven't seen the movie, folks, go see the movie. Cause it's, and really, see it on the screen because uh, it's a joy to behold. It is. And there's one more scene I wanted to get your take on, and that was at night when they were uh, dancing and the sun was setting. Mm-hmm. And so the, you you want to know is that did they do it in one take? And what I read was I think it took them that three nights they had to go back to the same place at the same time. Uh, but it is that one is all one take, I believe. Yeah, that the, the sort of like when they meet cute and they're dancing in the uh, in Magic Hour uh, up at yes. by the observatory. Yeah, I think that that's one take. And um, I I. I heard an interview with Ryan Gosling, and I think he said they did it maybe six or seven times over a couple of days uh, until they nailed it. But, uh, boy, no pressure there, you know, because Magic Hour only lasts <laughs> about 45 minutes. And, um, <laughs> All right. And, and you know, you every, even within a five-minute take like that, the sun is changing so rapidly when you're in Magic Hour that I'm sure there was a lot of work done in post-production to make it all seem consistent. Because the color temperature uh, in in from the sun and in the atmosphere and and the sky and background is going to change hugely, you know, over five minutes. Sure. Yeah, that's just part of how brilliant.
brilliant it was. Descriptive well, reality. You, know, you think about you know the films that we make, and and you know you have a little team, and and everybody's doing their best to make it look great, and you're you're doing your best to match from shot to shot. Imagine you know pulling something like that off, and you certainly don't want to be the crew member that blows a take in the last thirty seconds. So no. everybody talk about adrenaline. <laughs> it's just for that alone, you know. Um, whether yeah. you're a fan of musicals, whether you're a fan of the lead actors or not, you should see it just for the, the sheer effort of precision that's that's executed in camera on that movie. It's just fantastic. It is. Okay. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about um, some of the recent films that you've worked on. I thought perhaps you could share uh, some of the work you've done recently and tell us about some problems that filmmakers had or how you took their film and helped them get the mood and the look they wanted. Well, recently I've done uh, a number of films. Uh, I, I love working on documentary stuff uh, for the independent part of my job. I kind of have two jobs. One is a day job where I work on TV spots for uh, a major studio uh, marketing feature film releases. So that is working with you know A-title movies and extremely good footage most of the time. Some of it's not so great. but um, So that's, that's a very glossy sort of thing that I do. And then um, the more soul-fulfilling work that I do is with independent filmmakers, um, both fiction and nonfiction work. And um, a lot of times that's much more challenging because um, the footage is, is challenged and, um, you know, the budgets are lower. And so there's, there's lighting issues and there's camera issues. And sometimes trying to rescue footage that has a significant uh, deficit is uh, the most interesting part of my day. Um, challenging, but there's a real sense of accomplishment when you can um, fix something that's a real problem or, uh, you know, when I get to be creative, um, which I get to do a lot on these independent movies, I can be a big part of the storytelling process. Um, so I worked on a, a film recently that was shot over many, many years. Uh, it's a personal story about um, a guy sort of searching for his father uh, who's kind of gone out of his life. And he... I only had like some old VHS footage from the 80s um, and then uh, an interview that he conducted with him um, in the early 2000s, uh, both of which were standard definition uh, imagery. And then he had some more recent stuff when he went back to sort of visit his, his birth home and, and interview people that were attached to his family. And um, so to stitch all that together, we kind of had to come up with three different looks. You know, we had to... F- do something with the VHS footage, which was really barely there. Um, and then the stuff that he shot with his father uh, in the 2000s was um, was challenged as well because uh, it was kind of a last-minute unexpected meeting. So uh, very little controlled lighting uh, or exposure. But, you know, as a documentarian, if it doesn't happen on camera, it didn't happen. So... Uh, you know, better to use the bad footage than not to have any footage at all. Um, And then we had to figure out how to make that work with the more recent footage that was uh, shot in a controlled environment. At one point, um, he was actually shooting and his camera died, and he pulled out his iPhone and kept going 
because he had a you know one shot at getting into his apartment that he grew up in, and uh, you know so he kind of like invades this apartment with these people that are living there now, and they're like wondering what the hell is going on, and he he <laughs> loses his camera, so you know he's like this is a one shot deal. I'm gonna pull out my iPhone and keep this interview going because otherwise I don't have it at all, and um, and we had to make that all work together. Oh, that sounds very interesting. So, actually, then you start working with filmmakers early on, right? When they uh, start a film, they should be contacting you pretty early in the process. Yeah, that's really crucial now. Um, Earlier in my career, it was more common for people just to sort of uh, make assumptions and and do what they thought was right, and people were shooting film, and you could usually um, make, you know, something work. because there weren't that many weren't that many ways to foul up other than exposure or having a bad camera or a bad lens or something. You know, you did one exposure test to make sure the camera worked okay, and then you went out and shot your movie and came back and did your post-production later. Now with digital capture, um, you really, really have to have your editorial and your, your colorist and your sound team all together talking before you shoot frame one. Um, it's really important because you really need to establish a workflow. It's crucial. Um, making one incorrect decision on a switch uh, in a camera can cost you thousands and thousands of dollars down the line. You know, and I, I really encourage filmmakers to do tests. You know, get the camera a few days early or just rent the camera for a day and shoot tests and test your entire workflow from start to finish and make sure that everybody's on the same page, and, and then you put that down in a document and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to capture the footage. This is how we're going to ingest it into editorial. This is how we're going to do the round trip for color. This is how sound is going to get their version of the picture, and how this is how we're going to marry it all up at the end. Um, it, I just I can't emphasize enough, really. Get your team together before you shoot. Um, sometimes... I get projects like that, and it's it's great because we all know what's what's going down. Uh, sometimes I don't, and uh, sometimes it's a real heartbreaker, you know, for the filmmaker to, to say, well, okay, I know you've been in editorial for nine months, but I can't take the picture from you in its current state. You know, oh, my God, you, that'd you've be done, horrible. You've done something wrong, and then you have to go and reconvert all this footage and overcut your picture with the proper format, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I encourage people to, to call me. I, uh, my advice is, is always free for for filmmakers that work with you, Carol, or any any independent filmmaker that wants to, to, you know, seek my advice. And I'm happy to try to answer any question that people have because um, my, my job is to make people's films come to life. And... Uh, Anything that I can do to help them do that and and avoid pitfalls that can be costly and heartbreaking, um, I'm I'm happy to help. Good. Well, you start out with the filmmaker and ask them what kind of a mood they want or what kind of a look they want for the film. Is that how it works? Or do you read yeah, the that's script? When we, yeah, what when happens? we get to final color, um, that's what uh-huh. we do. Um, in the in the sort of like production aspect that I was just talking about, it's more about just the nuts and bolts of production and making sure that the workflow works. And, and it's always great if I can talk to the director of photography and, and maybe discuss some ideas. If you have the luxury of time and can shoot 
real picture tests instead of just a camera test where you make sure the workflow works and actually do some experiments about I want to create this kind of mood. Uh, how can we get there? How much should I do on set with lighting? How much should I do in terms of camera adjustment? And how much can I expect to do in post-production? Those are more creative decisions. Um, if you have the luxury of time to do that and do those kind of tests, you, you know, your picture is going to look much, much better than if you don't. But if you don't, you know, do the nuts and bolts test. Absolutely. And then once the picture's cut, um, you know, you sit down with your colorist and you have a conversation about this is my story arc. These are the story beats that I see. Uh, and, um, you know, this is maybe as a director, uh, you go in and you have an idea of how you want your film to feel. Um, maybe even have some ideas about what you want the color to look like. If you don't, uh, any colorist that's worth his or her salt will have suggestions for you. You know, that's, that's a large part of my job is interpretation of um, what the director is trying to put on the screen. And if someone comes to me and says, you know, I want this to feel like um, a hot, sunny day, um, I can, you know, give up five examples of what I think a hot, sunny day looks like. And then they can pick, you know, the one that is their favorite, and then we can tweak on that. Or if they say, um, you know, this is a, a really sad scene, I want, I want uh, you know, the audience to feel somber. Well, of course, a majority of that is in the script and in the performance uh, that's in front of the camera. But um, I can certainly augment that and work on people's emotions with the imagery. And by affecting the way that the picture looks um, for that scene, they won't even know what hit them. But it's, it is a, a very effective part of the storytelling process. Exactly. Oh, that's a lot of good information. Well, you mentioned one other time in our conversations about the Da Vinci Resolve program, and you said sometimes you recommend people could play with that to find the color they want for the film. But, um, but as a way to communicate with your colorist, this is what I'm looking for. Right. Um, yeah, there, there's a number of, you know, sort of desktop programs that you can use out there. Um, lots of professional s facilities use DaVinci Resolve. Um, it's not my format, uh, my, my platform of choice at the moment, but um, lots of facilities do use it, and you can download a free version that will run on your laptop or your desktop uh, machine at home, and you can play with it. Um, if you've ever done any work in Photoshop, you kind of know some of the color correction tools already, and you shouldn't be afraid to dive in, you know, even if you're running just like Final Cut or uh, Avid on your laptop or desktop. They have, uh, you know, rudimentary color correctors within their own software. And then, you know, go a step further if you want. Try, you know, take a look at Resolve, um, and you can put some shots into it and play with uh, color and contrast and see what you can do. And... Um, you, you might be pleasantly surprised. I, I don't encourage you to try to color uh, your independent film yourself unless you just have no money whatsoever. Uh, the main thing that, besides just experience and being able to see um, from start to finish a process, that you get from a colorist at working in a, in a proper environment is you get calibrated monitoring. Um, you can't trust, you know, your 
LCD, you know, on your on your desktop or your your you know your display. Even if you got like a really good LED display on your on your laptop, you know, you, you can't trust that that's calibrated, and you don't know what you're going to get when you um, when you send it out for broadcast or when you uh, make a DCP and send it to the theater for a festival. Um, so, you know, the monitor that I work with is a $40,000 Dolby uh, monitor that's calibrated. And so what you see is what you get. Um, it's important to have a proper monitoring device if you're doing color. Um, also, you know, working with a professional colorist gives, gives you a tremendous amount of expertise and, um, and speed. Um, I, I've been involved with a couple of pictures where people, you know, for budget region, reasons, did try to color uh, their picture themselves, and then they ran into uh, brick walls. And, you know, sometimes we decided to start over and do it right. Sometimes 90% of what they had was okay, and they just had 10% of their shots that were really, really problematic, and we just worked on those in my environment and then tried to tie it all together. Okay. Now, you're in L.A., but you can work you work all over the U.S. and uh, even outside the U.S., right? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I just finished a, uh, a documentary feature um, about homelessness in Hawaii, and I never met the director face-to-face. We had a few conversations on the telephone, and we sent files back and forth um, via Dropbox. And, uh, you know, I, he had a broadcast premiere a couple of months ago, and everything went great. And... Um, you know, in that kind of situation, uh, you, typically what we'll do is uh, a, a few key scenes, and I'll say, what do you think of these? And there would be some back and forth. And then once I kind of have my marching orders, once we've decided what the picture is going to look like uh, from story beat to story beat, then I just do all the in-between work, and then, you know, we do a full output uh, and then address notes. So that process does work. Um, long distance. Uh, I, I think I've got a couple more projects coming up uh, in the next month that are going to work the same way. Uh, it, it takes a little bit longer. Uh, obviously, you're at the mercy of the speed of uh, your internet connection. And then just the, you know, the back and forth uh, takes a while. But uh, that's, the, that's the great thing about, you know, all this digital stuff is we can, we can work with somebody that we never meet face-to-face and, and um, and, and still have uh, a great working relationship. Even my day job where I do the TV spots, um, I yes. rarely see those clients face-to-face. They're, I'm in Burbank. They're in Culver City. They don't want to drive to Burbank two or three times a day <laughs> to look at my monitor, so they have a calibrated monitor where they are, and we actually do client sessions over fiber optic line. There's just like dark fiber that runs the length of Los Angeles, and we put up sound and picture, and they make notes, and we do, uh, you know, uh, edit changes and sound changes and color changes um, on our end, and they approve them on their end. Great. That that's the way the world is today. <clears throat> Nobody wants to drive, and particularly not in Los Angeles. So I know. I, I wish I could do this from my bedroom in my pajamas. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out that. They still make Great. me come in. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you: Was that Anthony that you worked with in uh, Hawaii? Anthony Altello? Yes, yes, yes. That project okay. was called um, uh, Ruth, no, uh, no Room in Paradise. No and, Room in uh, Paradise. Yeah, it's a really 
great movie about the homeless situation in, in Honolulu specifically. And, um, but, you know, because they are in a, a, an incredibly beautiful location, we decided to make it look really glossy like a travel brochure or a fashion <laughs> shoot. And so we amped up the color in the sky. We had blue, blue skies and blue, blue ocean and, and green, super green grass and foliage and palm trees. And then in the foreground are these homeless people, you know, because the juxtaposition was really powerful to have something sure. that looked like, you know, looked like um, like Anthony Bourdain's show, but, you know, the subject matter in paradise are these, these people that are, you know, hard on their luck and need help. Um, I love working on projects that have a heart like that, that have a social conscience, and, boy, do we need that. Uh, I, I really applaud filmmakers because I know it's always, you know, uh, an, a work of love and, and a passion. Um, and, you know, if, if you figure out what you're actually getting paid per hour, you'd never do it. You know, it's just something people feel compelled to do. And I really applaud people that do socially conscious work like that. Yes, they are our greatest asset and the least paid of all of the genres of filmmaking are the documentarians. But yeah. so that's what we have to change. But you you talked to Anthony's partner was in my intentional filmmaking class 2 or 3 years ago. Uh-huh. So and, and you were so kind to come on the uh, class and talk to them about uh color and so um that's just fabulous to know that they worked with you because I really am pleased to hear when people take advantage of your skills because you are so talented. Well, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the hookup. And, and um, you know, their film was really solid. They did a, a wonderful job of cutting it, and uh, it, it told a, a, a powerful and necessary story. And, uh, that yeah, that was the film that we did, um, you know, strictly via Dropbox. And, um, you know, I did uh, another film a couple of months ago that my client is just in Long Beach, um, so in the L.A. area, but still a pain in the ass to get to Burbank. Um, So we did the majority of that film uh, via the Internet, too. Um, Again, you know, it takes a little while longer than just uh, sitting down uh, for a session, Um, but it's a very effective way to work. So, you know, just because you're uh, in Des Moines doesn't mean that you can't work with a Los Angeles or a New York-based colorist. Um, so I encourage people, you know, to seek out somebody that, that is a good fit for them. And I, I will say this, too. Um, we were talking about the, you know, the passion projects and, and, and how difficult it is and, and what a sacrifice it is to do this kind of work. And I have been there. You know, I've been an independent filmmaker, and I've done my own work, and I understand when you're – you know, thinking dollar, dollar, dollar while the camera's running and, um, and and trying to tell your story. And so the way that I like to work with independent filmmakers is when you're close to having, um, you know, a final edit done, send it to me and I'll take a look and assess how difficult the footage is to work with, you know, how cutty it is, how much work I think it's going to be on my part. And then uh, I like to give filmmakers a flat, number and say this is what it's going to cost to color your movie you know that way i can do my best work we can do our best work together we're not staring at the clock the whole time and we you know we just make a an agreement that no one's walking away until we're happy you know um that's a pretty rare thing 
but I, I think that it's a fair way to work with filmmakers, especially first-time filmmakers, you know, who may maybe have been, you know, sort of run through the ringer on costs, you know. And um, I just, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to help people. I want to help people get their stories told. And, and I make it worth my while, but I certainly don't you know, make the kind of money doing those kind of projects that I do doing the day job. But um, there's a there's a sense of fairness and a and a and a collaboration uh, that I enjoy, and I I really like working with those kind of folks. I I really like it when I get a full price. I know what I'm into, and uh, and I can and I've got it in my budget, or I don't, or I go get it, and then I can work faster and. Right, More and I've had people that do that too. Yeah, I've had people, you know, and another thing that, you know, a lot of the people that you're working with, Carol, they're, they're um, using social media and fundraising, uh, crowdfunding sites to, to, to build their budget. And um, one thing that I've been offering people that are doing that sort of thing is like, cut your trailer together, let's color your, your two-minute trailer, and so that you're putting your best foot forward so that your work looks as professional as it possibly can be. Raise your money, you know, and I'll give you, um, you know, an idea of what the budget's going to be for my my portion of the post production, and you build that into your budget. So uh, that's a service that I I offer people that are working with from the heart. So there it is, Thank folks. You. That's yeah. great, Sam. Well, just tell us how can people find you. Well, you can uh, email me uh, at samdcolor at gmail.com. That's the that's my email for questions. And uh, also you can get my phone number from Carol. I think she's probably got it on the website. And uh, just give me a call. Uh, you can always reach me uh, through From the Heart Productions. Um, I'm happy to talk to any filmmakers that have questions. Um, and I will try to answer your question about VFX and sound and, and anything that you have uh, as far as post-production goes. And if I can't find the answer, I will try to find somebody that can answer it for you. But uh, specifically, color and workflow questions, um, I, I can really help you with. Fantastic, Sam. Well, that's so nice for people to know. The thing you want to know in Hollywood is where to go to get the information. That's the key. Yeah, and that's just, again, it's so key now, you know, that everybody's shooting on digital cameras. They're where we just used to have film, and there was one format. Or you know, in the <laughs> right. early you know, in in when in the standard definition video days, there was really just two formats of video, and uh, you know maybe four formats of HD video. Um, now that you've got digital cameras that can shoot in um, you know any number of resolutions and any number of codecs, um, there's ways to really make your picture look great, and there's ways to really make your picture look awful. And it's just a switch setting away. And so it, that's why I, I will emphasize again, it's so important to, to do a, a workflow talk with your entire team and, uh, and do some tests if you possibly can to make sure everything works. You know, it, How heartbreaking to spend so much time and effort, and then you get your footage, and it's you know, not what you expected. And it's a real uphill effort to make it even usable, much less, you know, great. So, and, I, and I've, I've been in those situations too, and it's really painful for everybody involved. So do your homework and get your team together early and do testing. Exactly. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you, My Claire, pleasure. too, for hosting the show. Yeah, and, thank you, Claire. Uh, 
Yeah. It was yes, great fun. Yes, very much enjoyed it. Sam, it's always good to have you back on the show. Such a pleasure. Yeah. It's great to great to talk to people and, and, and I I love to <laughs> I love to talk about this stuff, obviously. Yes, well it's your home, it's your forte. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. All right, Claire, thank you very much. And then we'll see you all next week, same time. Fantastic. All righty. Bye. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.